Um, this morning, we're going to turn our attention to Psalm 63 uh, as we uh, approach the Word together here in this space. But before we do that, I'm um, going to take a personal moment of privilege uh, and invite you all to join me in prayer for, uh, for one of my dearest friends. Um, my friend Tommy Williams is a uh, pastor in, uh, in Beaumont, Texas, and this morning he's announcing to his church that he's going to be put on medical leave, and this Thursday he is having uh, open heart surgery and having his aorta replaced. And um, he's just a few years older than me, uh, beautiful wife Bethany, four kids, and um, this is... Uh, uh, it's a scary ordeal, um, but we trust in the Lord and we call upon the Lord for his provision and his healing work, and uh, we thank God for, uh, for the miraculous uh, advances that allow for this to happen uh, and for him to be able to have that surgery this Thursday uh, at Methodist Hospital Houston. And um, so I'm calling on the prayer warriors for um, my friend and... Uh, uh, my co-laborer, Tommy, and uh, I invite you to uh, bow with me for prayer now. Lord, I thank you for, uh, for the opportunity that it is for the saints to come together and uh, to approach your heavenly throne on behalf of uh, uh, my friend Tommy, on behalf of your, your servant, um, and his family. Lord, I pray for Tommy now. I pray your entire healing. I pray uh, that this surgery uh, would uh, repair and uh, restore his body. I thank you for the discovery that it was that uh, we were able to be uh, made aware of uh, the, the deterioration that's been taking place in his aorta. And we pray, Lord, uh, for the surgeons, for the doctors, uh, for the, uh, the nurse practitioners, uh, for everybody that will be involved in the surgery on Thursday. And we pray that it would be, uh, it would be uh, a miraculous healing. Lord, I thank you for the faith of the surgeon. I thank you that uh, the surgeon uh, joined Tommy and Bethany in prayer uh, as they uh, set the date for the surgery. And I pray, Lord, that you would use him as a faithful servant. Uh, Lord, we pray for healing and restoration. I pray for Bethany and for their, their kids um, that they would experience a calm and a comfort and a peace in these days, and especially on Thursday. Lord, um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint Tommy uh, with a, a pure conviction uh, of the work that you are going to accomplish in him. Uh, and uh, may you uh, be glorified in and through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for, uh, for allowing that that moment together in worship this morning. Um, psalm 63 is a beautiful psalm of David, and we're going to read the first five verses together as we hear the word of the Lord, the psalm of David. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love 
is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. This is God's word for the people of God. And and we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we take this moment to reflect on the word, your word that was just proclaimed and heard. Lord, help us to think clearly on what you are saying to us today. I pray in this space, in this time, O oh Lord, that, that I would be diminished, that what, um, what you accomplish in this space, in this time, would be uh, to your glory, and that only your word would be known. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we would hear. Open our minds, that we come to know and understand your word, our hearts, that we would feel its power. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would open our hands in response to your word, that we might, be, um, we might be ambassadors on your behalf. We might offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought about how odd uh, our bodies are? Like, I mean, it's, it's pretty weird uh, how things, uh, I mean, we, 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 take, we, we, we take things for granted, we don't pay attention, but the truth of the matter is, it's all odd. Why are we ever hungry? Why have we been created with hunger and thirst? I mean, it would have been so much easier for us to be self-sustaining with no need for food or for water. Like, it would be more efficient. Like, if you were designing humanity, uh, you were designing humanity, wouldn't you think that hunger and thirst is a flaw? Like, let's just design that thing out of us so that we don't need to to work uh, in order to have food and drink. Why are we hungry Why are we thirsty? Maybe it's so that we can have an appreciation for food, so that we can know the enjoyment and the satisfaction of a perfectly cooked filet mignon. Maybe it's so that we could know what it's like to have a refreshing Dr. Pepper and all of its 23 flavors touching our tongue. Maybe there is something to this hunger and thirst that that is for our own satisfaction. Maybe it's so that we would be uh, responsible stewards of creation, so that that we uh, would know that the earth, the land, the animals, the fish, uh, the birds, all would come together and have a sustaining impact in balance with one another, and we would understand that the world had this beautiful creative order and balance put together in it. Why were we made hungry and thirsty? 
I'm fascinated by survivalist shows. I don't watch them often because they get gross and sad very quickly. I mean, you, you take a very fit, healthy individual, you put them in a survivalist show, and all of a the sudden, they look like they're, uh, they're on their deathbed because all of their muscles are showing, they're losing all of their energy, and uh, you're wondering, how in the world is this actually going to uh, work? And one of the great survivalists uh, in, uh, in, in, in uh, this, the show alone was able to kind of report on how this takes place. And, and he was saying that what you don't understand in a survivalist environment is that you spend all of your energy and time feeding yourself and quenching your thirst. What you would do at home in building something that you need, like, like, like a, a raft of some sort for, for fishing and for transportation, that work that you do at home, you could build in two days. But on a survivalist show, when you're actually having to worry about feeding your hungry, worry about quenching your thirst, it takes 21 days or more to accomplish that same feat. Because all of your energy is put into pursuing what it will be to fill you and to quench you. We don't know about that, do we? We, we totally lose sight of all of the work, of all of the energy, of all of the wisdom, of all of the intentionality that it, that it takes to provide H-E-B Creekside. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a glorious thing. H-E-B Creekside is, is, is a wonder, a spectacle to behold. But, but we just, just go there every day on the way home because we want, you know, the freshest meat or produce for what we're going to cook for dinner. That's nice. It's great. Some of us go on a weekly basis and we fill our carts with $200 of food and, and drink. And then we uh, take it home and we cook for the week. And we don't realize that if it weren't for all of those people and all of that wisdom and all of those efforts coming together to provide for that, that we would go hungry because we don't know the first thing about agriculture, about uh, ranching. We would starve. Praise God for all of those leaders, all of those individuals. We don't know what it's really like to be hungry or thirsty. But we could sit in those moments and wonder, why? Why were we created with hunger and thirst? I'll put out there that, that this grand design of God in our human bodies is primarily so that we would know what it means to long, so that, that we would feel, feel what it means to be empty and to yearn for what it means to be full. This, that this is woven into the fabric of our being physically as a, as a mirror representation for what is also in us spiritually. 
That, that, that spiritually we each long to, to, to be filled, long to be quenched, long to have this, this depth of relationship that can satisfy. We are built dissatisfied. And so we pursue that satisfaction and we pursue it in all of the wrong ways. We are fools in how we pursue satisfaction. But we will pursue satisfaction. We'll pursue it in our personal advances. We'll pursue it in the stroking of our ego. We'll pursue it in items or activities that have temporary satisfaction that quickly falls away as unsatisfactory yet again and again and again. We were built hungry and thirsty so that we would experience this unsettledness, this desire, this longing. What is it for us uh, to, to have this longing? Uh, in, this, in, in the scripture, Psalm uh, 63 the, 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 the middle of these verses, we read five verses, the middle verse, verse three, has a, a statement that is so in, inherently bold. I want us to be able to pause for a minute and, and grasp what it says. It says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Did you hear that? Ding. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I mean, how fantastic is that? Did you, did, you, did you really grasp that? The psalmist writes as the word of God for us, the people of God, that God's love is better than life. I wonder what, what the psalmist means by that. Does, does it mean literally life and death, that, that God's love is better than living it has victory over death. There's definitely that connotation to it. But, but I, I want to just drive in for a few moments and say that, that this, is, this is articulating that God's love is better than life. All aspects of life, the good and the bad, the ugly, all of the above, God's love is better. And so I want you to think about the best things of life and acknowledge for a moment that God's love is better. Those moments of tender care that you are able to receive from others, God's love is better. Those moments whenever you're able to offer yourself fully to someone else in care, God's love is better. The, 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 the moment when your child was born and you first held her or him in your arms, God's love is better. That moment of pride when you see a friend or a loved one or a child accomplish something that they have been striving and struggling for. God's love is better. Those moments when tears run down your face whenever there is a tender satisfaction of an encounter that was unexpected. God's love is better. When you're able to rejoice when you experience some form of satisfaction through achievement or gain, God's love is better. God's love is better 
and life. That's, that's a bold claim. Every single better you've ever experienced, God's love is still better. And so the psalmist writes, because God's love is better than life, I will praise you. I will worship you. I will offer myself to you. And, and I feel like we've found ourselves in, in a chicken or egg moment statement, okay? That, that what the psalmist is writing here calls, calls to us and, and asks us, is this chicken or egg? I'm, I was struck the other day, we were in a staff meeting about a week and a half ago, and we came to a chicken or egg moment, and one of our staff members just boldly declared, of course the chicken was first. I mean, like Adam and Eve, God created, God created the chicken, the chicken came before the egg, like I don't even know why this is an argument, just like stood up and walked out the room. It was like, it was like a moment, you know. <laughs> I've never heard anyone as boldly convicted of what came first, the chicken or the egg, but that was one of the, and so we have a chicken or egg moment here in scripture. Does worship come first or God's love come first? Does worship come first or does God's love come first? And I would probably say that I would answer the same way that I typically answer is yes, uh-huh, like, I, I don't feel like this is the hill that Jason's going to die on, right? Like, I'm not going to be like chicken or egg and like stake a claim and boom, walk out the door. I'm going to say, uh-huh. And, and, and I think that that's where we are here, that, that worship and love, God's love and worship, worship and God's love, all of those things are intertwined one with another. When we worship, we experience God's love. When we experience God's love, we worship. Or when we, when we, uh, when we experience God's love, we worship. When we worship, we experience God's love. You could, you could put it both ways and it's all true. And the psalmist writes, because God's love is so much better than life, I will always praise you, oh God. And I want to continue on and say, because I praise you, oh God, I will continually be reminded that your love is better than life. That my worship reveals your love and your love calls me to worship. And it's a beautiful, intertwined dance that we fully connect with as Christians. Which came first? Doesn't matter. But love and worship, worship and love have a glorious interplay. God, your love is better than life. So I will worship you. My lips, it says, will glorify you. I find that interesting. My lips will glorify you, O oh God. And, and I wonder, I wonder if, there's, if there was ever any condition that the psalmist considered adding into the recording of, uh, of this psalm. Did, did the psalmist think, oh, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you unless I can't sing very well. Like, if I can't sing very well, I'm exempt from worship. Any of you ever feel like that because your voices are just that, mm, you know, oh, I see some, there's some bashful hands, some half hands raised in the back. You know, no one did this. Testify, Jason. Y'all want to hear me up in here? Like, no, no one did that. People just get a little half hand. Like, yeah, you're, you know, I'm, I'm not going to. But here's the thing. 
There is nothing more beautiful than a horrible sounding voice worshiping the Lord. I want you to know that from the deepest, most authentic, real place in my heart, I believe there is nothing more glorious than someone who can't sing a lick singing praise to Jesus. Because when that person is singing praise to Jesus, they are all up in Psalm 63, verse 3, and they're saying, because I know of God's love, I can't but sing praise to God. Were there any other conditions on it? Like, did, did the psalmist say, because your love is better than life, uh, I will, I will, uh, my lips will sing praise to you as long as, like, the right people are around me, you know, like... If, 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 if the circumstances are right and the, and the vibe is right, is there a condition like if the music is the song I like or if it's the instrumentation I get down with? Is there another condition like, uh, like if it's in the right room or the right place or uh, I had the right kind of week or I, I'm in the right kind of moment? Is there any condition put on that? The only condition is that God loves you. And that doesn't ever change. And so if God always loves you, then we're always called to praise. And our worship is consistently bound up in a response to God's love and in an opportunity to encounter God's love. There is no condition placed on our praise. You and I were made unsatisfied, longing, needing to worship. And so God says, worship. Without condition, without reservation, without hesitation, worship. With your whole self, with all that you are and all that you have, worship. Worship in the sanctuary. Worship uh, in your home. Worship in your car. Worship when you're waking up and when you're lying down. Worship. That's all it is, is worship. We're called to it. We're invited into it. And it's rich and glorious while we were on ski trip, on, uh, we have beautiful evenings of worship, times where we uh, have teaching and we gather around the word and we sing together in the living room of this beautiful lodge overlooking uh, the Fraser Valley. I mean, it's really stunning to watch the sun rise and set on this bank of windows uh, looking out through the valley. And, uh, and so we have magnificent moments of worship, but my favorite moment of worship from the ski trip that we just got back from happened on the ski slopes on Wednesday afternoon. I, no one knew that I was worshiping, but I was worshiping. And here's how it went. Wednesday morning, I thought that I was going to be responsible for the death of multiple students in uh, the Covenant student ministry. I was assigned and assigned myself, which makes it even more foolish, the responsibility of uh, caring for four of the students that had uh, one half day of lessons uh, under their belts. And then they were going to be under my care and tutelage as we uh, progressed down uh, the mountain. And uh, we got up the Gemini lift, and we're now on the Discovery uh, Bunny slopes, okay? And I'm taking them literally from here to the door. It's like, we're going to pizza. We're going to pizza our way from here to the door. And I get three of them from here to the door. And then the fourth one, the fourth one... Uh, I don't know what they taught in ski lessons, but 
uh, I will just give them an F. They failed, okay? It was absolutely uh, a waste of money this year. Um, and so, so, they, so this young lady, she pizzaed, and I'm waiting at the door with the other students, and I'm like waving, stop, pizza, press out, in, uh, and nothing was working. And she just went, boom, right past me. And I like, wait here, kids, boom, boom. Down the mountain, I put my arm around her. I like bring myself to a stop right before we get to the edge, and I'm just like, they're gonna die. What did I get myself into? This is awful. And no less than 10 more times that morning, I put my arm around a student and brought them to to a stop. And so we took a lunch break. And I announced to the students that it was going to be an extended lunch break. And I went up the mountain and skied some blues, reminding myself what it's supposed to be like to ski. I came back down, and then I said, I'm here. Let's do it. And they all were so excited. They loved skiing. It was so much fun. I was like, you don't know how close you are to death. (laughs) They were having a blast. And so so we went back up the mountain. We kept skiing, and uh, and then they got it. It clicked. Something happened over the course of the day Wednesday, and we're skiing down Village Way, and I'm watching them all cruise, and I'm in the back just wondering if I'm going to have to tuck and hold and keep them from going off of the edge, and none of that is happening, and so I put music on my speaker, and I put Highlands on. It's one of my favorite worship songs. I didn't know we were singing that this morning. Put Highlands on, and I created a station And I was worshiping on the slopes. I was just meeting with the Lord, offering the Lord praise because his love endures forever. It probably started as a song of thanksgiving for what had been accomplished in these students' lives. And soon that faded away to to, to minimal importance in comparison to the great love that God has for you and for me. And so I just celebrated how good God was how good God is, how good God will be forevermore. And I worshiped on those slopes. You see, there's no condition to our worship. It's not conditional on location or time or environment. It's not conditional on whether or not we have a full band uh, to lead us or if we just are led by the Holy Spirit in our own heart and life. We worship God because he loves. We worship God to encounter his love. You see, we are made hungry and thirsty. We have that need woven within us. And see, the scripture writes it so magnificently. In verse 5, it says, I will be fully satisfied, like with the richest of foods, with singing my lips, uh, the lips, uh, they will praise the Lord. I think that, that, that Jesus was familiar with this psalm. Jesus knew this 
this call to worship, this invitation uh, to respond to God in worship through, uh, through this love that has been received. And we hear Jesus in John chapter 6, right after he has fed the 5,000, right after he, he's walked on water, he begins to testify to who he is so that his disciples would know what he is offering them, what he is offering the world. And in verse 35, he simply states it this way of John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so when the psalmist says, through our worship, we will be satisfied as with the finest foods, Jesus then offers this reiteration, uh, this, this restatement and says, in this, that's me. And when you come and you encounter me, you will be filled. You will, you will have your uh, thirst quenched. You will have this in such a way that it will last for eternity. It's not a temporary fleeting matter, but when you worship Jesus, Jesus eternally satisfies. And so that's our invitation. Each and every day, each and every moment, come to Jesus Worship Jesus. He is the bread of life that satisfies. He is living water that lasts for eternity. And when we offer ourselves to him in worship in an unconditional way, God responds by revealing his love. We worship because God is love. We love because God has revealed himself in our worship. Jesus loves you and me. One of the ways we know this is in our worship. Let us be a people of worship. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary gift it is to, to gather together and worship you. We were made for this. We were made to worship. We need to worship. And so in our worship, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be celebrated and acknowledged as good and as loving. Lord, I thank you. I celebrate you and I worship you today. I invite us to experience you afresh in our worship. Lord, let us lift our voices to you. Let us lift our hearts to you. Uh, let, us, uh, let, us lift, uh, let us lift our, our praise together corporately that as we worship, you would bind us together as your saints and that you would be glorified in and amongst us. Use us, we pray. And as we continue in worship and we offer a portion of what you have blessed us with, we pray, Lord, that you would use these gifts for the kingdom-building work of your church, that you would be glorified through the use and stewardship of these resources. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.